So welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. Uh, we're excited today. This is the first official podcast ever in our history, and we hope that this is a weekly occurrence or a uh, occurrence that we do quite often and bringing many subjects and topics to the public uh, about what Project Purple is about, who we are, and sharing all of the good, fun, inside information with the public. So today with me, I have our program manager for our running teams, Chelsea Bunyer. Hi guys, how's it going? We also have our program manager for our patient financial aid, Marcy White. Hello, what's up? And last, we have our program manager for our CrossFit and fitness program, Vin Camp. Hello everybody. Awesome. So let's get started. So. How was Project Purple started? I think that would be a great place to start for the general public. And I guess I would have to handle that question since this is Dino Varelli, the founder and CEO. Fancy title guy, I guess. But so uh, Project Purple was started out of my own personal experience. My dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in December of 2008. I had my own financial services company and... Um, Cancer wasn't foreign to us, but pancreatic cancer was. And when my dad was diagnosed, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, my parents were immigrants. They immigrated to the United States in 1968. And uh, they provided a great life for myself and an older brother. Uh, they sent us through uh, private school growing up, um, through college. And uh, when my dad was diagnosed, it was really hard to accept. He was actually in kind of the limelight of his retirement, enjoying life, uh, grandkids, um, working still quite often, actually. Um, he still enjoyed, I think, being around his friends and doing some work. And uh, when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, it was really surreal. And cancer wasn't foreign to us. My mom was actually a breast cancer survivor at the time, and so was my aunt. But pancreatic cancer was really foreign. So um, we went through early 2009. Uh, my dad was fortunate he was surgical. Only one in five are, are surgical, which is uh, for pancreatic cancer is the Whipple. And um, through that experience, we learned a lot. Um, he had his surgery uh, that Christmas we actually had in the hospital because he had his surgery uh, just prior to Christmas. And being of a, an Italian uh, background, you know, the holidays are pretty special. I think Christmas probably is the most important holiday in the, in the Italian culture. And uh, so that, that year was really hard. It was really tough um, mentally um, for all of us. And so uh, my dad had surgery. He came out. He recovered from surgery. And then he started a chemotherapy protocol, which ran about six months. And at the end of six months, uh, he was given a NED, no evidence of disease. So basically, a, a, you know, cancer-free. And for some reason, I just, um, I didn't think that was true. You know, when you, I think when anyone finds out they have a disease, the, probably one of the first two or three things they do is they go to the internet, right? And they do like a Google search on, you know, what is the specific cancer you have? And I, I did that. And... You know, everything online was just statistically dreadful. You know, nine out of 10 people die. 
um, you know, the survival rate was just so low and, you know, just, it was just, everything was just really daunting. So I don't know, maybe that bit of information being online and what I had researched, you know, was just kind of always in the back of my mind. Like this was not really the reality that he was cancer free and that we would have to kind of go down this path again. And we did. And then my dad was re-diagnosed in March of 2010. He had uh, some blood in his uh, in in his stool, and and the doctor at the time, his general practitioner, suggested that he go straight to the emergency room, and he did. Um, I remember that vividly because um, he missed my older son's birthday party uh, because he was stuck in the hospital, um, you know, getting looked at and and you know getting diagnostic testing, and he spent the whole weekend in the hospital, and uh, he wasn't able to attend my older son's birthday party that weekend. So um, out of that diagnosis or out of that, that episode, um, the doctors re-diagnosed my dad, this time with uh, stage four metastatic pancreatic cancer, um, which is really fascinating to me to get a clean bill of health on April or uh, May, excuse me, May or June of 2009, and then fast forward to a little bit, you know, March of 2010, so not even a full year about 10 months and he's stage four metastatic uh, cancer and you know given three to four months to live so uh, at that time uh, I think things kind of shifted into high gear um, I wasn't um, a f avid runner at the time but I was still kind of a a casual runner and and you know I'd own a financial services business and in 2008 the stock market had crashed and so um, I wasn't really affected in my financial services business till about 2010, but I was really fortunate. I had a staff of four at the time, and I spent a lot of time with my dad um, while he was going through his treatments. That was kind of my thing. I was the chauffeur for my mom and my dad to all the appointments. And, um, you know, I was able and fortunate enough to be able to do that because of my financial services business. But I learned a lot in that. I learned that a lot of people go into fighting cancer uh, without insurance, uh, without a big support system, and without proper care. Uh, I think the one thing that my dad had um, is he had really good insurance. He was a laborer for 30-something years, and he had good insurance. We had savings. Uh, he had a big support system. Um, every time he went into chemo or was in the hospital, it was like a party. All of his uh, Italian club friends would come and visit him on certain days. Uh, a lot of times uh, when I was there, aunts and cousins would come and show up just to provide support. Um, but what we didn't have is we didn't have knowledge uh, about the disease. And we didn't have good doctors for a while um, with the disease and, and proper treatments, in my opinion. So that, that really grew on me. It kind of really frustrated me. But I also saw the other side of it where there were people coming in for various cancer treatments and they were coming in off the bus or, you know, they were kind of struggling with, uh, with medical payments because you would talk to them and you get to know these people and you hear their whole life story. So it was really fascinating to me, you know, that, uh, that we were blessed that we had some of these things, but we were looking, you know, at people who were in dire straits in terms of financially. And so a lot of things were happening at that time. The second time my dad was re-diagnosed and I started to run a lot more and, and running really became for me this like insanely positive outlet. Like I had a dad who was going to die 
I knew he was going to die. I just didn't know when he was going to die. And I can go out at the time for like a 5K run, like a three-mile run or even a mile run. And, and things just made sense. Um, like I could solve, like I had a young family at the time. I could solve like parenting issues. Um, I could solve my financial services company issues. And, you know, potentially I thought I could solve my dad's issues. So one thing led to another. Um, I rallied a bunch of friends, some strangers. And I also realized how good running was for me at the time. And I think being an entrepreneur, I looked at the space, um, in particular pancreatic cancer, and there really wasn't another pancreatic cancer charity using marathon running, half marathon running. Um, and at the time, it really wasn't marathon running. It was just running. And I think I was just really thinking more half marathons and 5Ks and 10Ks to the way I envisioned. And um, so we, we literally incorporated in 2010 uh, August of 2010, and um, we started running. We, we were running uh, a lot of local races, and, and one of the first campaigns on how Project Purple got started, and this was strictly an awareness campaign, and to get people motivated and to bring awareness for the disease was um, our 13 and 13 campaign, which was running 13 half marathons in 13 months, and a half marathon is 13.2 miles. So um, because it was my idea, 13.2 miles, yeah. No, 13.1 miles, yeah. Half marathon's 13.1 <laughs> miles. Uh, so uh, because it was my idea at one of the first board meetings, um, I, I said, you know, we really should have someone on our staff or someone that is associated with Project Purple um, should run you know, these 13 half marathons. And I looked around the room, similar to that as I'm looking around the room right now, looking at the staff here, and no one stepped up to say, okay, I'll do that. So I said, well, who's going to do this? And they, someone I think said, well, it's your idea, so why don't you take it? Uh, so I said, okay, I'll do that. And I looked at my wife, and she gave me her blessing. And, uh, and so I literally, uh, in June of uh, 2011, um, I, I started this journey of running 13 half marathons in 13 months. And when we fast forward, um, what quickly became, you know, 13 half marathons, I think eventually became 17 half marathons, the Boston Marathon in 2013 and, uh, or 2012, excuse me. And, um, a couple of mud runs, a bunch of five Ks. It was just an insane amount of running. I guess I, didn't know how to say no to people because what was happening was a lot of friends would reach out and say, Hey, I'm doing this half marathon and I'd love to run it with project purple, but can you come up to Boston and run it with me? And I was like, well, that's the same month I'm doing the one in Hartford, but okay, <laughs> let's figure it out. We'll do it. We'll make it happen. So there were a lot of months where I ran multiple half marathons and, um, it's just something that just quickly grew. What did happen though is we realized the power that we had with running and endurance and the gift that we, pro we were providing to other people that were in similar situations to turn something really super negative, i.e. a loved one battling this terminal cancer into something really, really super positive. So from that day on, um, from that time span, we really um, have embraced running. And um, we applied, our first major marathon that we applied to was the New York City Marathon. We got into it 
And um, the rest is history, you know, where we've had back-to-back years of over a million dollars in funds raised via our uh, endurance program um, running, which is really, you know, now it's it's been a little bit diversified with the CrossFit, um, but has really been our foundation and what we have done and what we do and, and providing you know, families and, and runners alike with this opportunity to uh, have a positive outlet and run some of the, the best road races in the world. And in turn, what we have done, you know, um, is, you know, become a leader in the patient financial aid space for this disease and also fund a lot of research. So that is how Project Purple started and how it really became what it is today with just, I think, really for me, just seeing an opportunity, um, you know, and, and as running being a positive outlet, um, you know, for me at that time when I was going through this real, real negative time in my life. And that's something that I think is really kind of crucial and critical to our success here is being able to provide people that are going through a negative time in their life this positive outlet and whether it's running or crossfitting or you know we do a lot of other things other than running and crossfit like people have done birthday recognition Um, people have done pizza eating contests Um, but everyone has always come to us for this positive outlet this is something that like i hear you talk about a lot dino but i think it's important for other people to hear this about kind of like why you started the charity also um is like your experience with your dad and going into it knowing nothing about finding the best uh, care and yeah chelsea I, i think we were really i was really really frustrated or with the quality of care that we could not find for my dad and my parents were a little stubborn being immigrants um, grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We literally grew up across the street from a hospital in Bridgeport, which was the place to go whenever, like, I got my first stitches there. I got my tonsils removed there. Like, my dad had a, a, a minor stent put in right when he retired, and he had it done there. And there's nothing against that hospital. I think the hospital is good. But when you deal with something that, and my mom had breast cancer just going back, like, she had her breast cancer care there. But when you deal with something so different in pancreatic cancer, it is really critical. And I realized that then just by doing research online, I, I, again, I, I wasn't naive to the fact like you look statistically and my mind just like kind of like a, the light went on in the sense that, wow, like this is really unique. Like there's not a lot of doctors that do this stuff. Um, because, you know, it's so unique and it's so morbid. So there's got to be really specialists that are involved in this disease. And then you start reading more and more, right? Like you get in, in, involved and entrenched in like reading and finding and educating yourself. And a lot of stuff that I was reading online at the time also indicated that, yeah, you really should have a specialist and not a generalist. And that was something that, you know, I mean, I guess hindsight's always twenty twenty. You kind of pick your battles. And I don't think my mom was ready um, 
for that conversation at the time when I brought it up and then when I would advocate, like I get a lot of calls now from families and the the biggest piece of advice that I can give a family battling is make sure you go see a specialist and not a generalist. So anyone listening out there, you know, if your family member is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, make sure you go see a specialist who deals with pancreatic cancer and not a generalist who deals with all cancers. And that's not to say that generalists are bad doctors, but this disease is so different and unique that you really need to have someone who deals with this day in, day out. You don't just want the standard of care. Correct, correct. And especially now with clinical trials and everything that was going on. And granted, this was back in you know, 2008, 2010, and there was not a lot going on. A lot has changed in the last you know, seven years in terms of, you know, treatment protocols and stuff, but you still want a specialist, you know, and that was something that I really had a hard time, you know, grasping with my mom and my dad to force them to go to a center of excellence or to go, you know, we're in Connecticut, like we're an hour and 20 minutes from New York City, we're two hours from Boston, you know, which are the mecca of science here on the East Coast, you know, you've got great centers of excellence in this disease in both locations and, and it just really um, was a battle that I, I kind of didn't fight I think hard enough to push my mom and my dad to get to a center of excellence but that was one of the things that really frustrated me when when I was going through this process and another reason why I wanted to do what we've done the other thing too I mean I think this is a benefit from coming to the table with a financial services background where you're meeting with clients and talking about return on their investment like I would meet with clients and we would invest in their IRAs and their college plans. And, you know, the first question would be like, well, what's going to be my return, right? And that's a very good question and it's a, an important question to ask. And then I started to look at this disease in terms of numbers. You know, my mom's a breast cancer survivor. And if you look statistically, you know, breast cancer probably generates over a billion dollars a year in federal funding and private funding for research, which is great. My mom is still alive. She's now... There's a lot of survivors in breast Correct. cancer, a lot. Correct. Um, but you look at pancreatic cancer, and if we even go, you know, we go back eight years, you know, there was, I think at the time, eight years ago from the government, it was like not even $100 million. Now, last year, I think the number was like 125 So we've gone $25 million in eight years, which is still pathetic. Um, so the case really hasn't changed much in terms of resources available for science. And so I think that was one thing that really stuck out in my mind, you know, right away when you compare breast cancer as a, as, you know, for us, because that's the cancer that we were most experienced with prior to. And then you, I looked at pancreatic cancer and the numbers were just so staggering. So let's, uh, let's talk to other people on the team and not just me. We'll go in order of uh, being on the team. Uh, Chelsea Bunyer, and you know, Chelsea, you came to us in August, I believe, of uh, two years ago, which would have been 2016. Yeah, I was getting there. I was getting there. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of a unique uh, opportunity for you, um, you know, and, and I think the audience would love to hear how you came to us. Because um, you didn't necessarily fall in our lap, but I think kind of the stars aligned a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, so I um, I grew up in a very small town in Illinois. I uh, was a three-sport athlete there and uh, got a scholarship to play Division One college basketball. So that was kind of always my thing. Um, college athlete, went over to Sweden for a while and played over there after 
Um, and then was in the coaching world for uh, four years, um, trying to make it as a as a college basketball coach. So I was an assistant in Colorado for a couple of years and um, then a graduate assistant in Pennsylvania and was trying to work my way up in, in that world. Um, had plans to uh, move to Connecticut in 2016 and was uh, job searching and came across this, this job with Project Purple. Um, and after doing some research on kind of what Project Purple did, it kind of just seemed like I had to apply to the job. Um, it, it was a pancreatic cancer charity and my grandmother uh, passed away from pancreatic cancer when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and uh, the job as described was, um, you know, kind of working with programs and potentially patient financial aid. And I knew it was a running charity and I've always been extremely active and interested in running. Um, so it, it just kind of seemed like this amazing fit that that fell into my lap. So um, I applied and got a call back from Dino shortly after that. You make it sound so easy, Chelsea. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, that was, uh, you know, a turning point for us in an organization. You know, we were we were growing and we needed a, a patient aid. I think you came in as a patient aid coordinator, you know, to help mm -hmm. facilitate the patient aid program. And we were looking to go to that next level. And we had so many people apply. I mean, there was like, I think we had like 38 resumes to shift through and uh, tons and tons of people that we had interviewed and, and talked to and, and kind of brought in. So yeah, I, I, I think it's it's pretty fascinating how, how it all comes full circle, but happy to have you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think has been like kind of the, the biggest thing for you since you've been here, like in terms of... I guess, you know, the biggest thing and, and the one thing that you enjoy most coming to work every day. Because, I, I mean, I always say, like, I meet with a lot of people and everyone talks about, well, I love what I do. Well, you know, why do you love what you do? Right. Um, so I think initially, initially when I started with Project Purple, um, talking a lot to patients every day, you know, obviously I saw a direct impact there, uh, talking to patients and being able to help facilitate helping them uh, financially um, and getting the feedback from them and, and hearing how uh, how helpful those funds were in their everyday life. Um, but that, that role has transitioned for me and now I work with runners on a daily basis um, and I, I help them through the fundraising process. And I, I think my favorite part about coming to work every day is building those relationships and uh, you know being there for those runners and seeing how that helps them uh, through their process of grieving or their process of healing um, helping provide them with an outlet um, to to do something positive uh, for their loved one battling pancreatic cancer I think it's it's pretty cool to be able to work with those runners every day has there been any story or any situation in the last, I mean, you've been here almost over, well, it'll be two years this year. Mm -hmm. um, so over a year and a half that has really touched you. You know, we had, I mean, there's so many, right? There's so like, many. I, mean, it's, it's I really... think we're, we're really blessed. And I don't mean that in a corny way. Um, I always say it like, I, I don't 
consider this work, which you guys probably can see. I mean, I'm here probably uh, a lot more than I should be, but um, you know, I, I truly do believe we are. Uh, I'm blessed, and we are blessed to be in this position to impact people in a positive way on both ends, because we help patients and then also the runners. But right. you know, having I think for you, you know, you've been on both sides. Like you've been on. You started in the patient aid program and then transitioned now to the running side and working with the runners. And it's a different type of impact, right? Right. No. It, no. It's definitely different. Um, and and I think both are. Both are very significant. What we're doing in this space, um, but there is there is one runner that that stands out to me. Um, working with runners over the past year, um, we had uh, this guy named Rob apply to run our Chicago Marathon last year, uh, and I noticed his application when it came in right away because uh, he was pretty young. I think he was in his early to mid forties, and. Uh, the first thing he wrote was that he was a pancreatic cancer survivor. So he had had the Whipple surgery, gone through that, um, and currently is, you know, cancer-free, no evidence of cancer. Uh, he wanted to run the Chicago Marathon with us. Um, so while there have been so many um, inspirational stories from runners that have gone through the program, uh, seeing Rob come through and run his first marathon after having gone through that surgery and um, being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and coming out on the other side. It was pretty amazing to um, develop that relationship, uh, meet him in Chicago, and then see him run that marathon, uh, meet his family, meet his three young da daughters and his wife. Um, it's just pretty special. Yeah, Rob's a pretty cool dude. I mean, uh that's probably putting it politely, but uh, pretty amazing story. And I, I do think, you know, as the years go on, I think um, having survivors being involved for me is something that's really special, regardless of whether they're running or just getting involved or, you know, promoting whatever they're doing. But that uh, that is really special. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so next, let's shift gears. Um, we're going to go to our second oldest employee here. Which September. Is September, which of is, yeah, you're like setting records here. So you're not even six months in. Yeah. Um, but Vin Camp, welcome to the podcast, oh, Vin. Thank you for having me and us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Vin, tell us a little bit about what you do here and, and what your role is and, and share something with the audience that probably no one outside of these four walls would really know about you. Wow, it's pretty deep. Nobody outside of these four walls. Related but to Project anyway. Purple. Oh, related to Project Purple. Um, yeah, so my story here, I'm um, I'm the patient program director for, you know, CrossFit slash, you know, fitness activities or, or events. Um, so we're building up the CrossFit world. I know you guys, you know, we have at Project Purple that huge um, marathon and running you know, background, and that's where we're generating a lot of our funds and fundraising. Um, so we're trying to build up that you know, fitness side of it too. And I know we use the word CrossFit, but I think it really doesn't encompass, you know, fitness in general, whether it's a boot camp or just a regular gym or somebody working out at home. Um, slightly different. So, you know, with the CrossFit or the fitness side, you know, we just schedule a workout of the day that gyms participate in. Um, and, you know, there's no fundraising minimums required, um, but it's encouraged. Um, members can, you know, register for the event um, and they can do optional fundraising along the way. Um, 
you know, so that's, that's pretty much what I do. I'm also working on some other like side things. You know, we did like a spinning event like Dino was talking about earlier. Um, we're trying to expand our wings and, and spread out to different avenues. Um, we got you know, something we, coming up with the Yankees. Too, we have right? something coming up with the Yankees. Um, For all our Yankee fans out there, you better. August twenty eighth, be save the date. Uh, save the August twenty eighth, we Not have the twenty ninth. Uh, mm, the twenty eighth. Originally, it was the twenty ninth. It's the it's the twenty eighth. Um, we have something coming up with them, so we'll we'll launch that and and get that out there soon. Um, once we get everything finalized with them. Um, you know, and, and other stuff. I know, you know we worked with a you know a spinning studio and and did a spinning event. Um, you know, I'm actually I don't even think I've I've talked to you about this yet, but I have a few people that want to do a Zumbathon. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's out there, and where and I'm talking I'm to them. Board. They actually yeah. right. I'm they actually board. reached out to me through Facebook, um, which which was great. So you know, we'll see if we can get that in the works. I think we're they are shooting for like April or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's building up that that those avenues and getting more gyms involved. You know, we had a very successful year last year with about thirty five gyms that were involved. Um, but we're trying to exp expand that out to worldwide now. Um, I know I've been in contact with some gyms in Australia, um, you know, Canada, you know, and and more so specifically throughout the U.S. and, and get them involved. What's uh What's something that our audience here for the public and uh, Project Purple related outside of these four walls? probably doesn't know about even that you want to share with the audience. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> um, and some people outside of these four walls might know this, um, but I am not a runner. Um, I, I played baseball. I played at Sacred Heart University and I played third base. It was reaction time. It was, I'm not an endurance person whatsoever. So that was one of my nerd fears coming in is that um, coming in and working with Project Purple was that I was going to have to become a runner. Um, but, but wait a minute for a second, though. So, like, w with baseball, and, like, you know, I played collegiate basketball. Chelsea's played collegiate basketball. Marcy, you're the only one that has not. Well, maybe you have, and we will find out if you've played a collegiate sport. I'll have to keep that a secret for now. Okay, Marcy's going to keep that a secret for now. But I, but I, know, like, I know, like, when I was playing basketball, we won't go the, the time of, of the, the year because that'll age you don't want to date yourself yeah we don't want to date myself but i we used to do running like we would train and that was one thing like we would have to do a mile but we would build up to that right like you would yeah. run like preseason conditioning right so for you to say that you never ran i find it hard to believe that a division one athlete playing baseball yeah, my long my longest run would be is, a mile yeah there is no reason even in baseball 90 well, foot sprints more like, sprint there's no reason. Yeah. Yeah, but you, so I hated you still yeah. like five k. You never did a five. My first five k was in Chicago, Chicago 5K. the day after, the week after I was hired, <laughs> or whatever. Two ever. weeks after yeah. I was hired, ever first five k okay. ever. All right. Well, I just you know I figured that was that's a fair <laughs> question to put out on, on, on the table here because like I was thinking about this the other day, like we were talking about running, and I was like. You know, I remember from my like collegiate training days, and I played Division Three, but like we still did like a five k like oh. in the preseason just to get to that mile. Like cause you just didn't go out and run, you know, just like any training. You're you're not gonna run, you know, if you're mile, if you're running a mile, you're probably gonna run a two mile training run, right, or a three mile training it's run. So. Foreign to me. So it's all. Foreign. It all sounds foreign to me. There's so there suicides and what's that? There's so much more running in basketball. Yeah. True. True. I mean, but it was 90 foot sprints. Baseball athletes, I mean, professional baseball athletes are in good cardiovascular shape. Somewhat. Not, not to like, run a 5K. Not though. to run a 5K. Right. We'll, we'll have but, to ask some of our friends on yeah. that one. Yeah. But piggybacking on that, I just turned 39. <laughs> I'll be turning 40 in December. And my goal for my 40th birthday 
for that year. So 2000 marathon 19 is to run a marathon in so my 40th year. Is this, That's is kind this of the first a, time you're saying that out loud? It's it's out there now. Okay, it's out there. It's out there. Out there in the public. It's in the public. Van Camp is going to run a marathon. Van Cramp. So Van Cramp. In 2019, because that's I will run a marathon. You are running for that. You'll be turning 40. I will run a marathon in 2019. So I know people that. I mean, there's some interesting running stories, and not to give you some extra motivation here, but you know, I know people when they turn like certain ages, like they've done that set miles on like a certain day or a certain amount of races so you know maybe what you might want to consider you know training wise and this might be a good fundraising idea here folks well i can count like, on both hands how many miles i've run <laughs> in the past so maybe what you can do is you can pick 13.1 plus 26 and that'll kind of get you close to 40 buddy so maybe like a one mile sprint somewhere along the way right so maybe that might be a good idea like right. vin's vin's turning 40 and doing a half marathon full marathon one mile sprint okay i don't know how much of a sprint that's been. <laughs> <laughs> one mile sprint. something yeah. to consider there bud it's it's all on there it's all so, on the so on public record you on, will, you will run a marathon I'm, in 2019 when you turn yes. 40 yep i will no questions about it. Okay. Well, not there you go. the day I turned forty, but no, that no, year. No, that year. There yeah. you go, public. So for all you friends and family out there that are listening to this, that know Vin, uh, now you get to call him out. They might start... faint if my mom hears that. <laughs> mom, um, we do plenty of training, and we'll make sure that he's no. properly trained. Hydration, 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 hydration. and uh, we'll we'll pick something nice and flat for you. Yeah, perfect, Chicago. Very Chicago, flat. possibly. I would say considering New York, it was my first one. I would say New York, but you know I'm biased. But yeah. Chicago is a great one. That's my second favorite. Well, thanks, Vin. That's You're that's kind of like earth shattering. You know, like, that's like <laughs> for big, anyone that knows me, that's big. That, news. That's big news to like throw out here on a public podcast yeah. on our first episode that uh, you're gonna run a marathon when you turn yes. forty. So 2019. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this: Have you thought about like, are you just gonna wake up on January first, 2019, and start training, or are you gonna train this year? Once it starts getting a little bit warmer, okay, I'll probably start running a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But now, if you're gonna run Chicago, or yeah, that's a fall marathon, so you can. Train. You have plenty of time. You have Those plenty yeah. of time. probably fall marathon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be probably be my best bet. Yeah. And it's different with me. I I get bored when I'm running. Like you, you were saying, like you, it was good therapy for you. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody at the gym yesterday about running, and I was like, I can't. When I was talking about you, because you said it just helped you collect your thoughts. My thoughts are all over the place when I'm running. I'm like, oh, I got to go do this. I got to go. It, like, so it was It's a little bit different. So I would usually just get bored with running and being like my mind's just running and racing all over the place. So after Chicago was my awakening, I guess, to seeing, you know, like you said with Rob, I mean, I remember him running through and, you know, the goosebumps, as you were talking about, I was getting goosebumps, um, you know, as my first you know real event that I was part of. Um, you know, but just seeing all the people coming, running through, um, like I, and I always say this all different sex, religion, shape, sizes, whatever. Um, it was, it was very in inspiring. I mean, that next day we got or the next week I got home, I just laced up my workout shoes, which aren't running shoes. So not the greatest thing to run in according to my Achilles and my calves, but, yeah, um, before you start training, we got to talk. Yeah, about we'll shoes. get shoes. But I mean, it, I, I almost, I guess that sort of like helped me into that mode of like clearing my brain as I'm running and it did become 
you know, and I think it was after that one mile, it was like, I was like, oh, this is just so boring. Like I want to, I'm a CrossFitter. I want to be doing high intensity type things. So it was just a different mindset that I had to get into, um, you know, to go longer. And then that three, one turned into three, turned into six. So that is the absolute, probably the furthest I've ever run in one. Six miles. Six mm-hmm. miles. I think though, the one thing, you know, um, when I started running, like I had a really difficult time with it. Um, and I used to use headphones and listen yeah. to music and, you know, you kind of get through, let's take like any endurance event, right? Like you build up to the ultimate goal. So as I became a better runner, like not having music was my thing. Yeah. I remember like that first, those first couple races I had to have my, uh, my mm-hmm. phone and my headphones and I had to have music on and then it just became a thing. And now for me, it's just kind of like, it's like drinking water. Like you just do it, right? You don't yeah. think how to do it, you know? And so like running for me is just one foot in front of the other and you just go. Yeah. So I think, you know, don't be too discouraged about the whole mental aspect because I think as you grow and learn and, you know, reach these small milestones yeah. in the beginning, whether it's one mile, two mile, three miles, four miles, you eventually learn throughout that yeah. about yourself and mentally and stuff. Similar to any sports. Yeah, yeah. I think... This kind of brings up something else for me that that's very cool about working for Project Purple is that, well, I've always been into fitness and, and running. And um, when I started working with Project Purple, um, I had I ruptured my Achilles a few years before that and um, was, you know, into working out, but wasn't doing anything consistently. Um, and being with Project Purple over the last two years has really motivated me to get back into running and to get my Achilles back to where it should be. Um, and, uh, you know, since that time, um, I've run a 10 mile with Project Purple and um, I will probably run a half this summer. And it's just been a really, really solid um inspiring environment for me um and it's it's inspired me to be healthier all around so it's pretty cool cool environment i thought you were gonna say the bet on who was a better basketball player oh uh, well i think <laughs> i think we know who the best basketball well, player that'll, that'll be going is. down that that's true Chelsea. i will give you credit you've had a you had a great career and, and you probably will knock our socks off playing basketball but we that two-on-two tournament is going down this summer hey and it might be three on three so the in-house office uh three on three basketball well i would i'll have to say three on three is uh, my preference for sure you know so off ball screening like that's where I'm, that's where i'm best off the ball movement so catch and shoot man catch and shoot catch and shoot easy get space use get the screen space. get space yeah. absolutely well vin thanks for sharing what you do here appreciate everything and uh the public knows now man so yeah. there's no turning back good luck with it buddy thanks appreciate it Last is Marcy White. So Marcy, thank you for being here today. Hey, no problem. It's my pleasure. As you are here every day. That's right. So uh, Marcy runs our patient aid program and has been with us since... October. October. So the newest of... The newbie. The newbie here in the office. And we're excited to have Marcy with us today and talk to you a little bit about what she does day to day here at Project Purple. So with that, take it over, Marcy. Alrighty, day to day, I look forward to coming here and seeing you guys and 
sharing my work day with you because everything goes by so so fast. We're constantly helping people and communicating with the public, with each other. The workday for me flies by and I wouldn't have it any other way. On a day-to-day -day basis for me personally, I do everything from patient financial aid, applications, I'm dealing with the patients directly, which I love. I Customer service is my number one forte, I think. So to me, they're not customers though. Um, I relate to them on a much more deeper, deeper scale and a personal scale. So I think that helps out my position here and I thoroughly enjoy it too. So it's, to me, it's not work. To me, this is a way of living, helping other people live. Other things that I do around here besides PFA and helping the patients would be tidying up the office, keeping track of our inventory, getting out orders. There, You can order online. We have a ton of apparel, Project Purple. So you've actually help me out here. Well, well Marsh, you've got you've, got, you've kind of no, but you've kind of been become, and I mean, and this is not by, um, I mean, like almost like the de facto office manager in a way with yes. some of the things. Yes, I've pretty much become the office manager. While you guys are away at the running events and the CrossFit events, I kind of hold down the fort here at the office, keeping the interns um, on track, giving the volunteers that often are lined up to do their tasks and things that are well needed around the office. Like I said before, keeping up with the orders that are coming through online every day and the patient aid keeps me busy. And I do look forward to coming out with you guys though, maybe a few CrossFit events and a few uh, races you to help support. You do know that if you come to a CrossFit event, you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm to supposed race, to be like might... the cheerleader that Oh. Sells the apparel and if you at come to a race. Cross I mean, <laughs> I had to do the 5K, so you're gonna have to do the 5K too. I'm so. pretty sure that pledge of your marathon was strictly <laughs> for you and not for me. <laughs> no one said marathon. We, you know, a lot of the races have shorter distances the day before. Half so marathon as a team. My longest has been a 5K, and that started in 2012. And once a year, I run a 5K, but there we is really 5Ks. no warming up. There is really not much training on my end. So, I'm not opposed to running. I'm just not going to jump into a marathon like Vin. I'm going to start. I think, I think what do we you, have? Like a 10K I can maybe train for? Well, a 10K is a little bit longer than a 5K, so it's double the 5K. Well, so you yeah, but I'm saying okay. I oh, can train. Like, what are you good? Because you guys, we, oh, actually, we're doing a 5K. No, yes. Well, that, I was just going to say, like, the next team building oh. event might be a team, like, 5K Sounds or, fun, like, yeah. a mud run or one of these, Ooh, like... mud runs are fun. Like, mud runs yeah. would be really fun Okay, for... so now, getting back on track here, though. Okay, so, yeah. Um, you know, one thing I think I've seen uh, as, as Marcy's come on board and kind of how her role has evolved in such a short period of time, um, I, I think it's really important to what we do here um, because I don't know if you've heard this throughout the podcast, but we're a pretty small staff here. So um, we have three full-time employees here in the office, and then Marcy uh, is working part-time with Project Purple. Um, but we do a lot here with a little, and I think that it's so important to have some organization and um, to have someone who's, you know, kind of taking the reins on um, organizing everything mm -hmm. from volunteers to interns to... Um, 
you know, Store inventory, inventory and what yeah. comes in and what goes out. And, um, you know, that's kind of what Marcy has done here for Project Purple. That's, thank you for summing it up. You're welcome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for noticing <laughs> the accomplishments. Well, thank you, Marcy, for all you do. So, Marcy, one thing, I mean, that I've noticed that, that since I've been here, um, uh, and more specifically, I know, I know you handle this, but it's, it's the care packs that go out. So I had, I'd lost my uncle and I'd lost, you know, a best friend's mom to pancreatic cancer. And, you know, we didn't get the care packs. I didn't even know what Project Purple was, you know, when they passed and everything. But I do know that when they were going through that, the little glimmers of hope that they got along the way um, were big steps in their progression. So I don't know if you can just touch on the care packs or, you know, I know we put together sure. tons of them once or twice a week um, as they go out um, yeah, you know, the and care, what they entail and everything. The care packs are great. I love them and basically what you can do is if you know someone who's battling pancreatic cancer going through the fight you can go on our website as well and request a care pack the care pack consists of really we pack it with love first but it does come with a few items a cinch sack a blanket some bracelets a pamphlet for the patients to go through and we're looking to expand on those so those care packs are going to get better in the future bigger bigger and better in the future but it's just something to give the patient peace of mind let them know that there are organizations out there like us that are here for you for the support um you know call us or if you're healthy and you want to raise money you can send money to us to give more care packs out to patients who are battling. Well, thank you, Marcy. Uh, thank you, Vin. Thank you, Chelsea. Um, and this is a wrap. So thank you to the public for all the support. And we hope you guys enjoyed listening to the first ever podcast here at Project Purple.